Welcome to Notes from the Electronic Cottage. I'm Jim Campbell. Today, how about a little potpourri of recent tech topics? Let's start with what may be a surprise for many music lovers. For the first six months of this year, vinyl records outsold CDs for the first time since 1986, back when CDs were just becoming a big thing. In fact, way back then, as WERU was getting ready to go on the air, the station had to figure out how to include CD players in the control room to complement the three, that's right, three vinyl turntables that were the source of most of the music that went out over the air. Oh, and by the way, neither vinyl nor CDs were the biggest selling format for music back in 1986. Nope, audio cassette sales were about 56% of the market in those days. Now, before we get too excited about this amazing sales comeback, it's important to note that physical sales of music, vinyl and CDs combined, totaled only about 7% of all music sales for the first half of 2020. Not surprisingly, the rest was one form or another of digital sales, predominantly through streaming services like Apple Music or Spotify or whatever. Still, for those who still believe that a new vinyl album beats the pants off CDs in terms of audio quality, this is probably comforting news. Meanwhile, facial recognition technology, which we've heard a lot about lately, is in the news again, though probably not on page one of most newspapers or websites. The United States Department of Commerce's Bureau of Industry and Security is currently conducting an inquiry on the topic of, quote, advanced surveillance systems and other items of human rights concern, end quote. This inquiry is only focused on export controls of U.S. technology to other parts of the world, not on its use in the U.S. IBM, formerly one of the major providers of facial recognition technology, is, to use the company's term, sunsetting its facial recognition products. In a letter to Congress in June of 2020, IBM said that, quote, IBM no longer offers general-purpose IBM facial recognition or analysis software. IBM firmly opposes and will not condone uses of any technology, including facial recognition technology offered by other vendors, for mass surveillance, racial profiling, violations of basic human rights and freedoms, or any purpose which is not consistent with our values and principles of trust and transparency. We believe now is the time to begin a national dialogue on whether and how facial recognition technology should be employed by domestic law enforcement agencies. End quote. IBM's eight-page submission to the Bureau of Industry and Security extends that stance to the export of domestic technology to places that might abuse it. Quote, any use of facial recognition for mass surveillance or racial profiling is a violation of basic human rights and freedom, and no society should tolerate the use of technology to further such injustices. Government regulations need to be updated to ensure that exports do not facilitate human rights abuses through the use of technologies such as facial matching in regimes known for human rights violations." End quote. 
That's a pretty clear position from a large international corporation. IBM does point out that there are very beneficial uses of facial recognition technology. For example, to enable self-driving cars to recognize that something on the street is a person rather than a mailbox or whatever. In that case, the important information is that the object is a person, not who the person is. Many folks these days use their faces to unlock their phones or computers. That's a case of facial recognition technology being used in a one-to-one -one situation to authenticate identity, which also, in IBM's view, can be a benign use of the technology. It's the third type of use, the so-called one-to-many matching, that makes IBM and a whole lot of other folks, including a number of cities and a few states in this country, very nervous. In the one-to-many case, the technology takes an image of a person, usually without the person's knowledge or permission, and checks it against a database of images to identify that person. It is this type of application, widely used in China and other autocratic countries at the moment, that IBM believes export controls should be applied to, based on the regime's current status on civil rights violations. Kudos to IBM for drawing these distinctions and submitting an eight-page brief in this inquiry. It will be one of many such submissions in the inquiry, but it's an important one, and one that domestic governments, from the federal level right down to local municipalities, should take note of. Another increasingly common technology these days is tiny computers worn on our wrists to keep track of the number of steps that we take, tell us where we are, and even, like in the old Dick Tracy comics, allow us to communicate with one another. As we've noted in previous programs, parents are increasingly buying these smartwatches for their children as a useful tool for keeping track of where the children are and for being able to communicate with their kids. As we've also noted in the past, the security of these watches often leaves a lot to be desired. Now, a group of researchers in Germany have systematically tested the security of major brands of these smartwatches for kids, and the news is not great. In a recent conference on location privacy and security in Dublin, Ireland, the researchers presented a paper entitled, quote, Stalk, Security Analysis of Smartwatches for Kids, end quote. From the abstract of that paper, quote, in this paper, we analyzed six smartwatches for children and the corresponding back-end platforms and applications for security and privacy concerns. Using a cellular network man-in-the-middle setup, reverse engineering, and dynamic analysis, we found several severe security issues, allowing for sensitive data disclosure, complete watch takeover, and illegal remote monitoring technology." End quote. None of these issues are desirable in general, but particularly when children are the targets. Interestingly, although all smartwatches tested were leading brands bought in Europe, all six were made in China, four by the same company, and three of those four used the same software platform. We can't go into detail here, 
but we'll put a link to the paper for those interested on the website for today's program in the Public Affairs Archive at www.weru.org. If you happen to be a parent thinking of getting smartwatches for your kids, it's definitely worth a look. In these COVID-19 days, we are quite understandably focused on the pandemic and the effects it's having on our everyday lives. But even in the midst of the pandemic, developments in digital technology continue apace and they too have an effect on our everyday lives. And we'll do our best to keep an eye on those developments and their effects right here on future editions of Notes from the Electronic Cottage.